church. Listen, as they're making their way out, you can turn your Bibles to the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers. As we get ready to start a new sermon series, you know, and as we kind of enter into this season of our year, just continue to pray. Continue to pray for our students as they prepare to go out and just engage in the world that they live in and the world that we all live in. That know the greatest discipleship we do is in that building next door with our kids and I hope that for us as a church and even just as a people of God this morning that our hearts are heavy for that constant flow of work and discipleship in that group of people because we desperately need a group of courageous Jesus followers in the generations to come and so you know as we get into the book of numbers this morning <clears throat> You know, when me and Garen were praying and talking about, like, where do we go from here as far as our teaching? And, you know, we're entering into our fifth year as a church. And between hurricanes and COVID and just the, the reality of living in a small town with a thousand churches, God has been good to us. And I am so thankful for that. And I truly believe with all my heart that God is, is going to bless the things that we choose to do if we stay according to His plan. Not according to my plan, not according to Garen's plan, not according to whatever we do, which has been so beautiful about everything we've done because it doesn't matter what location we're in, whether it's a coffee shop, a school, somebody's backyard in a shop. Like, God is good in all those spaces. And so the book of Numbers, when we prayed about and thought about it, you know, we were like... The book of Numbers is one of those things that if you've done a reading plan, that's typically where you fall off because the first like nine chapters are counting people and that gets old, like 6,000 of these, 10,000 of these, 4,000 of these. You're like, yeah, I'm going to take a break from this. You're like, I'll come back to it. Then you never come back to it and never finish the reading plan. I get it. I've been there. But there's something very unique about this book is that it builds a bridge from when they obtained the law at Mount Sinai through the process of their growth, this building up that they experienced. So for us as a church, we found so much relation in that. Like we are still, even five years in, we are in a building up phase. Like, and, and God just directing us, correcting us in all the ways that I feel like is just very relatable to us in our everyday life. And so I want to pray before we get into God's Word, pray that God speaks to us through this over the next 14 or so weeks as we kind of lean into the book of Numbers, that God speaks to us, that God challenges us, that we would be aware and, and uh, alive to whatever it is that He has for us as individual people this morning and as a community of faith living in the community of that we live in, the communities that we live in. So let's pray and ask God to just open our hearts and eyes this morning to his word. Father God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that as imperfect as we are, God, you give us the opportunity to pursue a perfect savior. God, a powerful God that we worship, that we see value in. Lord, that is that identifies us, that leads, guides, and directs us in all our brokenness and all our faithlessness. God, you remain faithful. God, despite the brokenness of mankind, you are still good. You are still worthy. God, you are still building up your people and your kingdom. And so, Father God, I pray that you open our hearts and minds to your word this morning to see the truths that you have for us. Challenge us where we are. Lord, help us to embrace and accept the reality of your word. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. 
So like I said, the book of Numbers bridges a gap between Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Joshua. And just to kind of lay a little bit of groundwork, because we, we were talking about, do we do an intro week, and then do we do like a week one? I was like, no, we're just going to smack intro and week one together, and then we're going to move on from there. But, you know, this is the third book of Moses, and what it does is it tells us, you know, Exodus and, Exodus and Leviticus are several months, kind of like that first year after leaving, you know, before leaving Egypt, after leaving Egypt, kind of the end of Exodus, going into Leviticus or several months, kind of that first year. Well, then the book of Numbers covers 38, 39 years. And what do we know happened in that time? They were wandering, right? They were wandering in the wilderness. They were, they were searching. They were being led towards the promised land. The reason that time frame was so long also was because of their disobedience. And so there was kind of this, this space that they were navigating. You know, in the Hebrew, uh, the, this book is called In the Wilderness because that's kind of the focus. And what God is trying to do in this time in the book of Numbers is He's trying to teach them what they need to do, preparing them for the promises that He has for them. Because remember, from the beginning of the wilderness journey to the end of the wilderness journey, what was the destination? The destination was Canaan, right? The destination was the promised land. The land flowing with milk and honey. The land that God has set apart for you. That God has promised for you. There were promises at the end of this, but there was a process they had to navigate through. And so the book of Numbers is God instructing them in the midst of that process. And so in Exodus chapter 12 through 14, we kind of see the story of their journey, their escape from slavery in Egypt. Remember, the Israelites are in Egypt. They're in slavery. Moses goes and he frees those people, leads them out. They cross the Red Sea. And then what happens? We know what happens. Shortly after that, they celebrate. Thank God. Thank God for his salvation. Thank God for, for his rescuing. Well, then what happens? Opposition comes and they complain. Well, then in the midst of that complaint, God says that there will be a generation of people because of their wandering, because of them losing sight. There will be a generation of people that won't experience the promises, but there will be the generation after them that will. And so that, there's, there's really a beautiful kind of like story within that, you know, that and me, me and my wife talk about this all the time. You know, when we're trying to talk about whether it's in work or whether it's in Christian life or whatever it might be that, you know, and I've said this several times in in our in our gatherings is that. You know, there are sometimes that we will plant seeds for trees that will provide shade that we'll never, sit, we'll never get to enjoy, right? Like we'll do things in this Christian life. We'll plant seeds in people that we may, we may never see the benefits of, but it doesn't diminish the process. It doesn't diminish the work. So in the book of Numbers, there is a whole group of people that God has said, you're not going to see the promises that I have for you, but you have a responsibility. And it's to be a part of the process, building up another generation to see what it is that God is doing and what God has for them at the end of it. And so, listen, the thing for us as Christians and the thing that, that, that they had to kind of get in their mind is that this isn't about what's for me. Right? This isn't about my good. This isn't about my comfort. This isn't about my success. But through these 39 years that we see, 38 to 39 years we see in the book of Numbers, God is empowering a generation to empower and teach another generation to embrace the promised land that God had for them. But that's so countercultural to us because we only want to invest in what we feel like benefits us. What makes me comfortable, right? What, what, what I can see the reward of. But I don't know about you, if you've done ministry long enough, then you know that there's a lot of ministry, there's a lot of work that we do for the kingdom of God that we don't always see reward from. Especially dealing with the people, sometimes you see more hurt than anything, right? More disappointment. 
And then we have to navigate that and we have to decide, well, is this about, you know, and then we contemplate in our minds, is this, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Is this what I'm not supposed to be doing? It, But we begin to base that off of the measurable data. Listen, Christian life and the work we do as believers can't be dictated by measurable data that we see. Because we don't always see it the way that it's happening. We don't always see because it's not about what we do. So that what? So that we may not boast about it. It's about what God's doing. It's about us pointing to somebody bigger and greater and grander than ourselves. And so that's what Moses is a part of speaking, kind of being the mouthpiece to God during the book of Numbers. He's being that person to Israel, telling them, pointing them to something greater than him. Pointing them to something bigger and greater and grander. And so the theme of the book of Numbers is this. It's a focus on man's failure, but God's faithfulness. And I don't know about you, but I feel like that describes my life, right? From failure to God's faithfulness. I mean, just this ebbs and flows from my attempts to be obedient, to falling into disobedience, and then seeking God's renewal. I mean, that's basically what happens in the book of Numbers is this constant wave of like obedience to disobedience, to renewal, to failure, to God's faithfulness, to renewal. Kind of this, I mean, this really the whole Old Testament is kind of this up and down of their obedience to disobedience to renewal. God just providing for His people and trying to lead them even when there is discipline, even when there is punishment for their disobedience. God never leaves His people. He continues to guide His people through that process. And so what the book of Numbers does is it approaches it all God's way. It approaches it all God's way. And when they were in the wilderness, and for us, you know, I really feel like I've always felt a lot of relation when I, through the wilderness story of the Bible, because I feel like we spend a lot of time in our life as Christians navigating a sense of wilderness. Right? Because the wilderness, when it talks about wilderness, it's meant to kind of communicate a certain type of environment. Uh, a, a very lightly vegetated environment. I imagine very little shade, very little provision. I mean, God had to basically protect and carry these people through this entire 40 years so that they could just survive. Very little rain. This was a very, very desolate area, a time. And they navigated this for 40 years. But because of God's way in the midst of the wilderness, you know, and just like they are, they were, we're tempted to launch a hundred different schemes and plans to escape the wilderness. But the only way to navigate the wilderness of life is God's way. We can't. We don't know it. We don't see it. We don't have the provision or the supplies that we need to navigate that space properly. But God's way does. God's way really works. And the book of Numbers gives us God's way. Uh, the idea that God spoke to Moses and through Moses in the book of Numbers is mentioned 150 times in more than 20 different ways. Because God wanted His people to know. He's communicating. He's wanting them to be clear about what to do. And the thing about it, and the thing for us, but the, and the thing for them, is that God did not lead them to that place for that to be their destination. It was never meant to be their destination. But the moment that opposition would come, the moment difficulties would come, they would begin to feel like this was their destination, and the only way out of it was to go back where I was, came from. And what would they have been going back to? Back to slavery. Back to imprisonment. Back to, uh, to death and oppression. Like, isn't that crazy that after everything they've been to, they felt like that was their only option? That because they felt like the wilderness was their destination. Listen, for us in our life, the wilderness is not our destination. It is a part of our process. It is a part of our journey. To navigate spaces where we're not sure where to go or what to do or if we'll even have what we need to do it, but there's a faithfulness of God that supersedes all those things that we have to remember. And that's what the book of Numbers really is all about. 
And so this morning, we're actually going to start in chapter 9. You know, chronologically, chapter 9 comes before chapter 1. And so we're going to settle in at chapter 9 first and kind of see. So imagine the people of Israel and where they're at right now between chapters 1 through chapters 10. They're still at the foot of Mount Sinai. So imagine, imagine being there. What has happened at Mount Sinai? What do we know happened at Mount Sinai? They went up, that Moses went and met God. God descended on the mountain. God gave Moses the law. Moses comes down with the law, the moral instructions for the people of God. And what does he find? He finds that the people of God have deserted God and started to, they have taken all their gold and silver, they've meshed them together and they've built this idol out of it that they're now worshiping. And so, imagine, put yourself there, and imagine camping underneath this giant mountain. Every time the shadow of that mountain comes down, what are you reminded of? Number one, these people are reminded about the holiness of God. Right? They're reminded of His glory. They're reminded of His power and His might. But also being under this mountain, they're reminded of their failure. They're reminded of their faults. They're reminded of their idolatry and their sin. And so, they're a year into their journey at this point in chapter 9. And so, in the midst of this failure, obviously they have not moved on. They're still here. They have not moved any further than they were a year ago. And why? I think it's a lot like all of us, and a lot of us, is that we settle in our failure sometimes. We settle in our faults. We, we become a victim of our shame or our guilt. We become a victim of our circumstance, and so we settle in. And I love here in chapter 9 where God begins to seek recovery for the people. And so there's two quick things that I want us to talk about this morning in how, how do we recover from failure? How do we recover from failure? Because we're building up as a people. We're building up towards the promises, what God has got for us, where, what, what God has for us. And so all of it begins here. Before they could take another step away from this moment, it had to start here. In Numbers chapter 9, I'm going to read down to verse 4, and this is what the Lord says. He says, And the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai. So they're, they're near Sinai. In the first month of the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Let the people of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. And on the fourteenth day of this month at twilight you shall keep it at its appointed time. According to all its statutes and all its rules you shall keep it. Moses told the people of Israel that they should keep the Passover. And so, so the first thing I want us to understand is this, that recovering from fa failure requires renewal. Recovering from failure requires renewal. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4.16, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. As a child of God, what Paul is saying here is that everything around us can be falling to pieces. Everything we depend on, everything we feel like uh, we, we find value in, we find comfort in, we find success in, those things that define us. He says all of those things could be falling to pieces, but as a child of God, our inner selves, the spirit that drives us, the spirit that motivates us, the spirit that empowers us is being renewed. You know, in, re in reality, something only needs to be renewed when it's not new anymore. And I think this is where we find ourselves, where the people of God have found themselves in this moment. 
the newness is gone. The, the newness of their walk, the, new, the, the joy that they had in the Lord, maybe the, the strength that they initially found in that initial crossing. They've come to this moment. They've, we see the song of Moses in Exodus. They're celebrating praise God on high. Then they meet opposition. They begin to become afraid. The courage has left them. The direction of God has left them because they, they've lost sight of it. And just like us in our life, the things we navigate, whether it's in church life, whether it's in work life, whether it's in raising kids or navigating a relationship with a spouse, just like that, we need renewal because there are times when it doesn't feel renewed, right? It doesn't feel new or energized. And so I'm thankful that the God of the universe continues that renewing day by day, day by day. And so as they sit at the foot of Mount Sinai in the shadow of their failure and the shadow of God's holiness where I truly believe every Christian has to start. We have to start understanding who we are before a holy God in all His goodness and His glory and where we are in the sense of our sin and our failures and our weakness and our inability to provide and to do our, on our own. And so in that, what does God call them to do here? What we read in chapter 9, verses 1 through 4, God calls them to a remembrance. And what does He call them to a remembrance of? He calls them to a remembrance of the Passover. So what was the Passover? So I just want to jump back to Exodus 12, and you can either turn there or you can go back and read it later. But the Passover was something that happened during the Exodus story. And what happens is this in, in uh, Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 1, reading down to... Uh, to verse, to, I'll kind of jump around a little bit, but verse 12, it says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of the months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if a household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbors shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat you. You shall make your count for the lamb. So we see him take a lamb, and the verse right after that it says, Your lamb shall be without blemish. So there's very specific instructions. You take a lamb, and then he says, Then you shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lentil of the houses in which they eat. And he continues on to verse 10, And you shall not let any remain until morning, talking about eating it and boiling it. All the pieces give very specific instructions. And not only that, in verse 11, he says, In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, and your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat in haste. And he says, It is the Lord's Passover. He says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So what is the Passover? The Passover is a literal passing over that death would pass them over by blood marked doorposts uh, during the final plague of Egypt. That would be the final straw when the Pharaoh would say, fine, take these people out of here after all this death, after all this destruction. Destruction, but what happened in the midst of all the death and all the destruction? Death passed over God's people and allowed rescuing. And so what is God calling them to? He's calling them to a celebration, a remembrance of what God did to rescue you from slavery. 
Any recovery from failure has to begin with renewal and an understanding of what God has done and what God does for His people. This is the first time the, the Passover is celebrated in a remembrance because the last time it happened, it was the actual event. And so what does He say? What does He do? For us to move on, we start here. We remember who God is. You know, and I love that it's not, he's not reflecting on a year ago whenever they were sinning at the foot of Mount Sinai worshiping an idol. He doesn't even go back to crossing of the Red Sea. He says, we're going to go back when God, the death, eternal death passed over you and allowed you to escape slavery. God promised promised to redeem His people from the bondage of slavery and death passed over God's people. Their renewal and re redirection begins with remembering who God is and what God does. Church, they didn't reflect on their failures or their moral requirements, even though it has been a factor in their wondering, but they remembered His rescue. He says, let's remember His rescue. This is where every Christian walk has to begin in understanding. Understanding who we are before a holy God under the shadow of Sinai, who we are before a holy God, but what a holy God has done on our behalf. What God does in the life of a Christian. It's a remembrance of the rescue, understanding that in the midst of failure, in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of hurts, in navigating Christian life, in navigating life in the world, that it's a remembrance. You know, we talk about this all the time, preaching the gospel to ourselves constantly, this renewal day by day that Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians, that we desperately need this and that renewal can only come by a remembrance and what God has done for me as a Christian believer. And so not only church is recovering from failure or requires renewal, but the second last thing is this, and we'll be done. Recovering from failure requires grace. Recovering from failure requires grace. And what do I mean by that? You know, in the instructions about this Passover, when he would say, you would, you're gonna, the first thing you're going to do before we can move, begin to move out, the first step we take to move out from under the shadow of this mountain that is a reflection of our failure to remind us of what we did as a sinful man, the first thing we do is we need a renewal and understanding about who God is and what God has done for us. But the second thing is this, that it requires grace. And where do we see that? Continuing down when he's giving the instructions about the Passover in this Passover celebration, the first Passover celebration or remembrance. In verse 6 down to verse 9, we see a situation. It says, And there were certain men who were, under un, who were unclean through touching a dead body, so that they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and Aaron on that day, and those men said to him, said, We are unclean through touching a dead body. Why are we kept from bringing the Lord's offering at, this, at its appointed time among the people of Israel? In verse 8, he says, And Moses said to them, Wait, that I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. And so, what we see, what we see is we see a group of people who came with a desire to worship God, but there was a problem. Per the law, they were unclean. Per the law, they were unclean. They couldn't participate. They couldn't participate 
They weren't a part of the fold of God at this point, the covenant of God. They couldn't participate, but they had a desire. And so what does God do? What does God do? If we continue reading on, this is something very significant. While, while I was reading it, I think for us, we need to live and learn from. What did God do? The one thing we have to understand that God didn't do is God did not adjust the standards of holiness. God did not adjust the standards of holiness for them to be able to participate. He had, a, he had a specific plan. God had a specific process. He had a way. He did not adjust the standards of holiness, but God did make an exception so that they could participate at a later time. He invited them into a process of patience and obedience. And we see that in verses 9 and 10. He said, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If any one of you or of your descendants is unclean through touching an, a dead body or is on a long journey, he shall still keep the Passover to the Lord. In the second month of the fourteenth day of twilight, they shall keep it. They shall eat with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, and they shall leave none of it until morning, nor break any of its bones. According to all the statute of the Passover, they shall keep it. So I know that sounds like a bunch of Instruction, But what we see there is that God gave an exception. He gave a way for these unclean people to participate in this practice of worship that they had a desire for. That they had a desire for. But what He did is He didn't adjust the standards of, standards of holiness. But what He did is He still created. He created a way that people on the outside could find a place to participate in the worship of God's holiness because number one, number one, it started with a desire. It started with a desire. Listen, for us, church, we have to understand this. In their uncleanliness, God provided a way that they could still participate. And He invited them to participate in a process of obedience. Now listen, I'm not saying that before anyone can participate in anything that God has invited us into that there's perfect obedience or perfect practice that's required. But what we do see here is that we see God provide a way of grace, a way for that cleansing to happen, a way for that participation to take place. Church, we don't have to compromise holiness to create passive participation. We do not have to compromise holiness to create paths of participation. And so what God is doing here is He says, and He lays it out very clear. He says that these people who are unclean, who have been traveling, so these are wanderers. These people who have wandered off from the pack, that they have not been around. What does He say? He says, but if anyone... It says, they, they, they shall leave none until morning, nor break any of the bones according to the statute for the Passover. They shall keep. It says, whether... They were on a long journey or have touched a dead body. They still can keep the Passover in the second month. So he kind of gives an extended time frame. But what he's doing is he's creating passive participation. He's creating passive participation. And what does he say when he goes down in verse 14, as we'll end up here? He says, And if a stranger sojourns or travels among you, and would keep the Passover to the Lord according to the statute of the Passover, and according to its rule, so shall he do. What does he say? He says, You shall have one statute, both for sojourner or pilgrim, someone from the outside coming in, both for sojourner or for native, someone who has been there. God made a way for the traveler, 
God made a way for the wanderer to participate in the covenant promise, join in the progression to the promise that God had set apart for his people. And what's most significant about this? Church, what I really believe about this moment is this is a foreshadowing of the graceful invitation that God would give to me and you. That this is a foreshadowing of the graceful invitation that God would give to me and you. And listen, as, as the worship team kind of starts to make their way and we prepare to praise God. You know, as I was reading this story, you know, I kind of started to reflect a little bit of my own life. You know, I, I think back to, to living in a, in a home that was religious, that was seeking after Christ, which I am so thankful for. But for me and a lot of my life, even in that religious home, I had lots of idols. And so then as I'm reading, as I'm reading this story, I start to realize, man, I lived under my own Sinai shadow, right? They had the law. They knew what they had done wrong. They knew all the mistakes they had made. Moses made that very clear. And God made it very clear about their punishment. They knew the rights and they knew the wrongs at this point. Two years in, living under the shadow of this mountain, they knew the wrongs. But what they had lost sight on, what they had lost sight on is the renewal that it needed to start taking steps towards that promise again. They knew the wrongs, but they forgot the steps towards the promise. I know thinking back and then reading through this story, I know for a fact I lived under my own Sinai shadow. I knew the wrongs, but I didn't know the steps. I knew, I knew the values, but I also knew my idols. And under that shadow, I forgot the steps. I didn't, I didn't know the promise. I didn't know where it was at. I didn't know how to get there. And I love, just like for these people here, for me in my life, what God had to reveal to me that I had never truly experienced before was a renewal about and a remembrance about what God has truly done for me. I remember back when iPads like first came out, it was like cool to like get something engraved on the back. And so I got a verse engraved on the back and at the moment I didn't really think a lot about it. But then later on in life, as I would look back and kind of look at that verse in the book, verses Romans 5, 8, I've said that anytime I've ever talked about my own story, I've mentioned this verse, but that verse took on a life for me that I had never truly experienced. When the Bible says something, when Paul is writing and he's saying, for while we were yet, yet sinners, while we were still sinners, while we were still in this place, and I'm thinking, I'm standing under my own Sinai shadow, and I'm thinking back to my own idolatry, I'm thinking back to my own sin, I'm thinking back to my own complaints, like the people of Israel complaining, maybe I'm better off back in slavery, maybe I'm better off back in the failure, maybe I'm better off back in Egypt. I'm standing underneath my own Sinai shadow, and I'm thinking to myself, wait, 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 wait. So while I was there, while I was in that space, you died for me? While I was a sinner, while I was idolatizing, while I was giving myself over to horrible things, while I was living in this space, you died for me. 
church, and it was within those moments, you know, I, I think about the vulnerability that I lived in as a, as a young father, very young father, newly married. We're trying to navigate new, new married life, new child life, like all of that, trying to go to school, trying to work. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I'm just trying to survive and I'm trying to cope and I'm surrounding myself with these things and participating in things to make myself feel better, to make myself feel comfortable and to be realized this, to remember this, to be shown this, just shook my world in a way that began to change, began a process of walking in remembrance towards what God has for me. And listen, I promise you, even in my day-to-day life, now I navigate a lot of days of wilderness where I'm, I'm complaining or where I'm falling or where I'm sinning or where I'm failing. And I'm thankful that in the midst of the failure of man, God remains faithful to his people. That even though I make bad decisions in the wilderness sometimes, even under the shadow of Sinai, God still leads me in steps towards remembrance and towards the promises. And the way that we keep moving is knowing who He is and understanding the grace of what this is. And so for us, New Testament Passover for us is communion. What do we say? Do this in remembrance of me. His body broken. His blood shed for what? For us to be inside of us, to reflect us. His righteousness given to us so that when God sees us, He doesn't see the broken righteousness of Jake. He sees the beautiful righteousness of Jesus Christ. So there's three things for us today in our initial steps of building up in remembrance that we understand about our Passover, that maybe we're living under the shadow of our own Sinai, the holiness of God, our failures, our weaknesses, but in the midst of that, God's still calling us to promises. And the way we begin to take those steps as Christian parents, as Christian students, as Christian teachers, as Christian workers, as Christian whatever, begin taking those steps by participating in remembrance, knowing who God is and what He's done. And there's three quick things, New Testament Passover that we celebrate. The first thing is this, as they required a lamb, we understand and remember that Christ is the lamb who died for our sins. John 129, it says the next day, this is John the Baptist speaking, he says the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, cleanse the out, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened for Christ. Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. His blood spilled for us. The, the eternal death passing over us because of the blood shed by Jesus. Christ is the lamb who died for our sins. The second thing is this, those who trust in him are redeemed from sin. Those who trust in Him are redeemed from sin. Romans 8.34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God and who intercedes? Who stands in the gap for us? Those who trust in Him are redeemed from our sin. Ephesians 1.7, in Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Hebrews 9, 12, He who entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of His own blood. Church, while we were yet sinners by the means of His own blood, thus securing, Hebrews 9, 12, thus securing an eternal, an eternal, forever redemption. 
in Christ Jesus for us, for me and you. While we stand and have stood under the shadow of our own Sinai, God calls us to promises through His blood, through His Son, Jesus. The third thing being this, that we may claim our spiritual inheritance in Christ. Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And John 10.29, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Church, there is a promise for God's people that we lose sight of. That as church people, we lose sight of living in. And as church people, we lose sight of sharing. That we would need to be reminded first to recover from failures, reminded of the renewal of what Christ has done for us. That that fixes our eyes back on the promises. It helps me as a, as a dad to be the Christian dad I, I need to be when I'm reminded of the promises that God has, the work that God's done for me. The least I can do for you, Father God, is pour my kingdom into my children. To pour my, your kingdom into my family. To pour my, your kingdom into the people that I engage with. And the second thing being understanding and reminding about God's grace. That God has created church. God has created pathways for the outsider to be brought in, to be brought into the fold. Church, let us remember that we do not have to compromise holiness to create pathways of participation. Let us not shut people out from experiencing what God has for them. Because God's grace didn't shut me out. God's grace will not shut those around us out without compromising holiness, creating paths of participation. And so can we be challenged in a couple things and then we'll worship this morning? That we would not forget the gospel of Jesus. That in our deepest, darkest pits, the, the encouragement, the courage, and the direction we find, let it be from the gospel. Can I encourage you to preach the gospel to yourself every day? Can I please ask you to do that? You desperately need it. I desperately need it. Every day, I have to remind myself, my inner self needs renewal day by day. And I find that renewal in the gospel of Jesus. That while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. And not for myself, but for the world around me. Christ died for me so that I could be something for the people around me. Christ died for me so that I could live and have life and have it more abundantly. Not only that, the second thing is that we would live in love in that grace. Share that grace. Make sure people know that grace. The Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing and by hearing of the Word of God. So can we create pathways of participation so that people can hear the Word of God? Let people hear the Word of God. Tell the people about the Word of God. Live your life and talk in a way. Listen, the gospel is a spoken thing. It's not a visualized thing. We have got to tell people about the gospel. So listen, whether people ever step foot in this door or not is irrelevant. You have circles of influence where people are waiting to hear the gospel from you. They're waiting to hear the gospel from you. Because you know what? They're sitting, maybe they're a Christian, sitting under the mountain of Sinai, overcome by that shadow. Or maybe there's somebody on the outside that is unclean that is living in that uncleanliness and needs, they, they desperately have a desire to participate. 
Share the gospel with them. Let them know who Jesus identifies them as. Let them know what Jesus has for them on the other side of this. A promise that he's guaranteed. Can we share that? Can we be those people? And can we worship a holy God this morning in that light? So church, let's stand with me this morning and let's join together and pray as we seek and worship God together. Father God, we love you. God, we thank and we praise you in all your goodness and all your glory. Father God, I pray that in all the brokenness of the world that we live in, Father, that we would not be distracted. God, that we would not be led astray by anything lesser than who you are and what you do. Father God, many of us, many of us, we still live under the shadows of our own Sinai. Navigating a wilderness where we feel lost, feel without direction, Lord, and even sometimes we're encouraged, feeling encouraged and pushed back towards slavery. Father God, I pray for courage this morning. God, I pray for strength. Lord, I pray for parents and grandparents and husbands and wives and students to stand in the gap, reaching out to you this morning. Father God, in pursuing you in all holiness and all good and glory. God, I pray that we would seek your renewal. God, I pray that we would lean into your grace this morning. Lord, and be a people of God. We're desperately depending on you in all things. Father God, we love you. Lord, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' holy name.